0: This is a sermon given at St. David's Episcopal Church in Austin, Texas. Visit our website at SaintDave.org. A decade or so ago, when I decided for the 43rd or 45th time to try to take a little more responsibility for my aging body, I found this website called Eat This, Not That. Y'all remember, did anybody see that? Eat this, not that. It was a, a pithy little website, and they, they found all the sort of main restaurants in America, and they went through their menu, and they would tell you, if you're at this restaurant, you order this, this is healthy, don't order this, this is not, or order this and ask them to leave off this, and leave off basically anything that tastes good, you know, that was, <laughs> that was how it went. But it was actually kind of healthy helpful, I mean, it was, it was this very concrete thing. Eat this, not that. They even had fast food restaurants. They even had McDonald's, which I thought was just funny that you could (laughs) actually think you're going to eat healthy because there was a comedian about the same time who had said, if you're taking most of your meals through the window of your car, you have decided that living to 90 is overrated. (laughs) (laughs) So, but there it was, they were doing their best to help you and it was a bossy website. It was very bossy. It said, do this, not that. Do this, not that, over and over and over. I think of that today because that's how I feel actually about the lessons that we heard today. Both Ephesians and the gospel, as well as the baptismal covenant that we're getting ready to review together as we baptize our new friends here. They are bossy things. These are rule-based, do this, not that. So let's start with a gospel lesson and see what's happening. Jesus is preaching his Sermon on the Mount. This is the Beatitudes. All the synoptic gospels share this in common, except they use them differently and they say different things about them. So in Luke in particular, the other ones make it sound like sort of try this and things will be better. In Luke, it's not that at all. In Luke, it's not even an invitation to behave a certain way. He just, Jesus declares as fact that you are blessed if you're poor, if you are sick, If you are in woe, if you are grieving, and if you are persecuted. That makes you pay attention. These are sort of the opposite of what we think about in the world as the definition of blessed. I've never met anybody who is in the middle of grief and said, I'm so blessed. That's not how it goes. But that's what Jesus says. And then he makes it worse and he says, woe to you who are rich, who are happy, who are laughing, and for whom others speak well. I was standing next to Chad at the nine o'clock service, and I read that, and I said, "I think we're in trouble," because uh, <laughs> I'm a pretty happy guy. I'm, I'm wealthy, and compared, and most of you like me, you know. So I mean, it's 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 kind of scary that this. So what is this? It feels like a do this, not that, and it's the opposite of what we think about in the good life. What we think is a good life, and then he gets even more bossy. At the end, he says, bless those who curse you. Forgive those who hurt you. If someone takes your shirt, give them your coat as well. And if anybody steals from you, don't ask for it back. It's like, what is he saying? It, he is the do this, not that. And they seem to be utterly backwards to the values of what we think are good. So we we'll just stay there. We just have to sit there for a minute. And then we run to the baptismal covenant. Maybe it will help us out. So I invite you to look at this. It's in your, I don't think it's in your bulletin actually. I think it is, yes it is. It's in your bulletin or it's in the prayer book, right? So look at that. So in this covenant, we walk through this bossy thing. You know, the first thing we do is we ask you a question. Do you renounce Satan and all the spiritual forces for wickedness or rebel against God? I renounce it. Do you renounce all sinful desires that draw you from the love of God? I renounce them, right? And so... We're getting rid of stuff. We're purging out this space in our life. And then the next question is, do you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord? Do you promise to follow and obey Him? We're going to fill that space with Jesus. But these are not not optional things. This is a yes, no question. Do you or don't you? And then we say, okay, we made room. We've got space for Jesus in our life. I want to follow this guy. Even after you heard that gospel lesson, you really want to follow this guy? That makes you a little crazy, just saying. This is, this is weird stuff we're doing. Then we're going to ask you, what do you believe? And we hit the tenets of the creed. Do you believe in God the Father? Do you believe in God the Son? Do you believe in God the Holy Spirit? And then we hit these five questions. So, if you've made room for Jesus, and if you believe this is what the kingdom of God looks like, then this is how this should look in your life. See how bossy this is? It is, will you continue. Can I borrow yours? I'm going to get the words wrong. Thanks. (laughs) I'm going to get the words wrong. Will you continue in the apostles teaching and fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayer? Will you persevere in resisting evil? And whenever you fall into sin, repent and return to the Lord. Will you proclaim by word and example, the good news of God in Christ? So you're saying you're going to, do all that. You're going to keep coming to church. You're going to be part of the fellowship. You're going to resist evil and repent of sin. You're going to be an evangelist for this good news, this upside down good news of Jesus. And then the really hard part will you seek and serve Christ in all persons, loving your neighbor as yourself? Will you strive for justice and peace among all people and respect the dignity of every human being? These are very bossy things. Why would you do this? Why would you do this if the reward might be woe and poverty and sickness and sadness? Why would that why would you choose this? So now I think we have to go to Paul to see if we can't get some response to this. We go to Paul's letter to the Ephesians and he starts he starts talking about the nature of God. He starts talking about God's glory. Now, the word glory is all over the Old Testament. So the people that he was talking to would know this word. God's glory is everywhere in the prophets, everywhere in the stories of the patriarchs and matriarchs of the church. They were amazed by God's glory, God's majesty, God's power. And the idea was that God was so big and so beautiful and so amazing and so filled with power that you couldn't even be in the presence of that without bursting into flames. Not as punishment, but just because it was so all consuming. You remember that story where Moses, when Moses said he wanted to see God? God said, Turn your back, face in the cleft of a rock. Because if you see me, you're not going to live through it. It's that big and beautiful and majestic. This God's glory. The Old Testament word for it is literally translated um, weight or heavy. It also translates the same word that's used for wealth, for someone who's wealthy, who has a lot. You know how we say in the English language, someone's loaded, right? So God is loaded, like weighed down with glory. It's that big, and it's that beautiful. And all the prophets wanted to do was be near that, was to be around that beauty and that power and that majesty. That's God's glory. And then Paul starts talking about what does the Christian life look like. And he says, it is so that you may live for the praise of his glory. You may live for the praise of God's glory. Now you know how when you're reading scripture you come across a sentence you think, I've never actually thought about what this means. That's how I felt when I read this this week. It's like, what does exactly that mean? What does it mean to praise of God's glory? So if you think about glory that way, what Paul is saying is what God did through Jesus was to bring that glory into the world. It was manifest in the person of Jesus Christ. And God's glory destroyed the power of evil, pain, woe, sickness, sorrow, to separate us from the love of God. And to quote Angela from the the mass we had on on Tuesday night, that God... By the resurrection of Jesus, God destroyed the power of death to separate us from God's self and from each other. This is God's glory. This is the majesty of God. This is how big this is. Maybe we're getting a little hint into why you might say yes to these crazy promises is because everything else kind of fades away in the presence of the majesty of And glory of God. And I want to live there. I want to live in the shadow of that glory. And I want to share that glory in the world. And these covenant promises are how we actually do this. This is what a life looks like. Do this, not that. We share in the glory of God. And we share the glory of God with the world. And it becomes our primary word. Glory. Glory. I live to bear witness. To testify to the glory of God. You know, I'm a lifelong backpacker. There was a fourth hiker with us for about 10 years. His name's Lyndon. He's fine. But he he hiked with us for 10 years and then his hip got bad enough that he couldn't be on the trail anymore. But I liked it when Lyndon came because he was always in the back. And when Lyndon stopped going, I'm in the back. Right? <laughs> so I kind of miss Lyndon. right? But Lyndon was great fun. He was a musician. He was very playful. He was always making jokes and he was particularly bawdy for an ordained person. you know, And that just made him fun to hang around. And, but he was always in the back. So he's kind of dragging along behind. And he had you could hear him back there. You could hear him just walking along, talking to himself. He'd sing songs and doing all the things. And every once in a while, I hope this doesn't scare the baby. Every once in a while, he would stop and just shout, glory! <laughs> and we would say, something good happened. I don't know what it was. So we'd wait for him to catch up. Say, glory, glory, and shout it again, glory. We're like, all right, tell us what it was. It was some epic view that he saw, some beautiful flower, some snake or some creature that he thought was just amazing. Or if he saw a particularly attractive version of the human race walk by, right, (laughs) you know, glory. Yes, glory. Come on, see, it makes you want to do that, doesn't it, Jack? It makes you want to shout it too. So even though when he was struggling, when his hip was really bothering him and we were going up a steep hill and rocks were falling around and he's just really having a hard time, you could hear him back there huffing and breathing, you could hear his poles clicking on the rocks and he would still try to sing, he would get some cadence, he's working it out. Even in the midst of real pain in his body, he's working that cadence. And then he would just go through gritted teeth. Glory, (laughs) glory, glory. Glory. Even in the pain, it was glory. When it was spectacular and beautiful, it was glory. When it was hard and struggling, it was glory. What a way to live a life. What what an invitation of the baptismal covenant to invite us into this. To all the beautiful things that happen in our world, glory. And even in the midst of the pain that we don't want or need or deserve, but that comes our way, God's glory is present. God's glory is there. We can peer through, we can squint, peer through the pain, even in with our breathing and say, glory, glory. That's why, maybe that's why, somebody would accept this invitation to accept Jesus Christ as Lord, to see glory, to see glory, to see glory. Jack, help me, glory. Yes, thank you. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.